Welcome to another brand new episode of the Just End the Suffering podcast, featuring New York sports talk from a long-suffering fan. I'm your host, Mike Phillips. I've got a good show for you today. The long preseason is over. You've had your fantasy drafts. Now it's time for the NFL season to begin. Before you get ready to watch all the games in week one, be sure to check out our NFL season preview of Mike Demurgis, which has a little extra emphasis on the two local teams. Show Me the Money is also back today with picks for week one, and I'll be joined by my first challenger later in the show. Be sure to stay locked in for this week's two-minute drill, where I take a look at the Mets' questionable handling of the David Wright situation. We get it all rolling with this week's opening tip, where I catch you up on all the action from the U.S. Open right after this. Y'all ready for this? Welcome back to today's opening tip. The U.S. Open is in full swing. It's been a really crazy tournament. Let's take a look at where things stand today, and we're recording on Wednesday in the middle of the day session and the second week of the tournament. Let's start on the women's side. Now, when you're the women's side, the draw was meant to get weird when Simona Halep, the top seed, lost in the first match on the first day on the new Armstrong court. That court turned out to be a house of horrors for the top women's seeds. Four of the top five went down there. Now, we're nearly to the semifinals. We have one match left on the women's side to get there. We nearly had an All-American affair. Serena Williams got there. Cruised through her three matches. She got a convincing win over her sister Venus in round three. She got pushed by Kaya Kanepi in round four, survived that. Bounced back nicely, got through Carolina Pliskova last night. Is in the semifinals, looking very good. Looked like for a while she was going to face Sloane Stevens, the defending champ. She was cruising. Survived a 37 round two. Looks solid otherwise. Then gets upset by last night by uh, Anastasia Sevastova. Now that means Serena Williams is facing off with Sevastova in the semifinals. And that should be a mismatch. Serena should get through there. Get to the final. The other side is where the intrigue still lies. The one match that has yet to be played as of this recording is Madison Key's quarterfinal matchup. She got, caught a huge break. She missed Maria Sharapova, who looked very good, but she fell apart in the round of 16, lost to Carlos Suarez-Navarro. Keys has a huge advantage against Suarez-Navarro, should get through there. And the last semifinalist, my sleeper at the end of this tournament, Naomi Osaka, is still alive. Osaka stomped through the first three rounds, had a big fight in the fourth against emerging Arina Sabalenka from Belarus, who had just upset fifth seed Petra Kvitova to get there. Osaka survived a tight three-setter on Labor Day, got through there, Cruz today got to her first ever major semifinal. So to recap, on the women's side, we have Serena Williams versus Anastasia Sevastova in one semifinal. The other side is Naomi Osaka against the winner of Madison Keys and Carlos Suarez Navarro. Assuming Keys gets through, you could be set up for a dynamic women's final with either Keys or Osaka facing off against Serena Williams. Serena still has to be the favorite with all of her experience, and if she's on her game, she's incredibly difficult to beat. But the fact that those two are there makes things very, very interesting. Now let's go over to the men's side. The big story of the men's side so far is the big upset Roger Federer went down the fourth round on Monday night to journeyman Australian John Millman. This is only the third time in 38 matches that Federer has lost at Arthur Ashe at night. Though this is the second year in a row that's happened, Juan Martin Del Potros beat him there last season. I watched a lot of that match. Federer looked off pretty much the entire time. Now, some of it could be the heat. It was a very hot night Monday night. But again, he is 37 years old. A lot of times players are not that 
dominant at 37. We might be starting to see a bit of a decline in Federer's game. He's already tried to keep up his pace by managing his schedule. We have to see if he tries to alter it to get back to a top spot next year. He only won one major this year in Australia. We have to see if he can get that momentum back and put together a couple more deep runs this year. Now for the rest of the draw. Rafael Nadal is still alive on the top side, but he's had to work very hard to get to the semifinals. He needed four sets to get through the third and fourth rounds, and then a marathon five-set win over Dominic Thiem last night in the quarterfinals. Thiem blanked Nadal in the first set, which almost never happens, lost the next two, won the fourth in a tiebreak. Nadal eventually prevailed in the fifth set and nearly after 2 o'clock in the morning Eastern time, after nearly five hours of tennis. Now, Nadal is through. He has a big matchup with Juan Martin Del Potro, who's made it look effortless most of the tournament. He has, he cruised through his first three matches. John Isner gave him a fight on the other day, but he survived that. Now, this sets up a mammoth semifinal matchup on that side. Nadal leads the head-to-head series 11-5. That record is 6-1 at the slams. With Del Potro's only win coming in the 2009 U.S. Open semifinals. And of course, that year, Del Potro went on to win the tournament. The results have been getting closer, though. Nadal needed four sets to beat Del Potro at the U.S. Open last year. And five sets to survive him at Wimbledon this summer. Now, these guys have both played a lot of tennis. It's important to remember that they are on the side of the draw that gets an extra day of rest heading into the semifinal. Because they last played Tuesday. The semifinal is Friday. That rest should even the field out a little bit and help the Dow out a lot. Because they are playing Thursday like every other day has been. You would look at Nadal needing a quick recovery. But the extra day should help him get past Del Potro. Now on the other side, we got riled of the epic Djokovic-Federer quarterfinal because of Millman. But this is actually a break for Djokovic. Djokovic struggled a bit early. He needed four sets in each of his first two rounds to advance. But has rebounded nicely as straight set wins against Richard Gasquet and Wow Sousa to get to the quarters. He's, he's facing off with Millman tonight. But the clock's probably going to strike midnight on Millman. He's a great guy. German player, though. Had the moment of his career against Federer. Find it very hard to believe he's going to duplicate that against Mr. Djokovic tonight. The other quarterfinals actually a rematch of the 2014 U.S. Open final between Marin Cilic and Kei Nishikori. Cilic won that in straight sets. These two both have a lot of experience at this tournament. Chelsea has been a bit of a dark horse. As difficult to get in the third round, he had five sets to outlast up-and-coming Australian Alex De Menor. Kane Shikori's caught some breaks. Gael Mountfields were caught in the second round against him, and he missed out on facing off with Sasha Zverev, who lost to Philip Kohlschreiber. Zverev was the high seed in this quarter of the field. The fact is, he is underachieved in a lot of these tournaments. Nishikori took advantage, got through there. Whoever wins is going to face Djokovic. So remember, Nishikori beat Djokovic here at the U.S. Open in 2014 on his way to the finals. It's going to be a great finish of this tournament. I think we're going to end up with a Serena Keys final on the women's side. I still stick to Serena's going to win. We are set up for another great Djokovic-Nadal final on the men's side, unless Del Poe has something to say about it. Djokovic and Nadal were the two favorites heading into this tournament. I see no reason to believe that anything has changed on that front. I think Djokovic is just playing so well right now. Nadal's been pushed so hard. That's going to catch up to win the final. I'm sticking with Djokovic as my pick for the finals. Up next, NFL talk with Mike Nemergis right after this. Third down in 10. Keenum is in the gun from his 39. 
Four-man front, six in the secondary. Shotgun snap. He moves up. He moves up. He throws a long line drive on the near side. Leaping trail. Catch made. Oh, my goodness. It's going to go in for the touchdown. Grabbed by Tibbs. He broke the tackle. 61-yard touchdown throw. The Vikings have won. The Minnesota Vikings have won. All right, we're back with some NFL talk as the long wait is over. Football is back this Thursday when the Philadelphia Eagles raise the banner against the Atlanta Falcons. We got a full slate of games on Sunday, including the Jaguars heading to MetLife Stadium to take on the Giants, the resurgent 49ers visiting the Vikings, and the Cowboys visiting the Panthers. Week 1 caps off on Monday with a traditional doubleheader, featuring the Jets heading to Detroit to take on the Lions and the Rams going to the Black Hole to take on the Raiders and new old coach John Gruden. Before the games kick off, let's take a deeper look at some big storylines to watch this season with my guest today, the graduate director of the sports communication program at Iona College, Mike Demerges. Mike, welcome to the show, and how are you doing today? Well, thank you so much. Looking to talk in some football. Let's do it. Before we get started, can you tell you a little about your background covering football in the past and stuff like that? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I was a uh, sports producer for about 15 years. Uh, had a couple of stints with the New York Giants as the game day radio producer. So I produced their, their game broadcast in 2004, 2009. Obviously, uh, football is a big thing in sports radio. Uh, I spent five years on the baseball channel uh, producing uh, baseball talk shows, but uh, always love football, the the, uh, the excitement of football, excitement for the start of the season, and there's nothing like the playoffs either. Absolutely not. It's it's definitely a great sport. I love getting into football season. Such a long wait between years from February through tr- training camp. They don't really care. It's all the preseason, but it's nice to have it back. Yeah, well, that's what makes it special. You only get 16 games, and if you're lucky, uh, your team's a perennial playoff team like the uh, the Patriots or the Steelers and stuff like that you might get 19-20 games unfortunately me being a Jet fan I'm lucky if I get four or five games and the season's over oh yeah I'm, I'm in the same boat with the Jets they've given me way too many disappointments in my brief time rooting for them <laughs> try watching them for almost 40 years and then and then comes talk to me yeah, I started in 1998 with the Jets, so I got sucked in the wrong year. I got I got hope that I thought they were going to be good, and then they ended up not being any good. Well, that was a great year by Vinny Testaverde, Bill Parcells. They went to 12 and four, went to the AFC Championship game, led Denver 10 to nothing, and then uh, a muff punt uh, by Dave Meggett, a kickoff, and uh, then a big fumble by Keith Byers, and so went the way of the Dodo Bird. The following year, opening game, Vinny Testaverde gets hurt, and the 99 season right down the toilet, and that was pretty much the end for Bill Parcells and the Jets. I remember when that happened when Vinny tore his ACL. My dad told me, he's like, this is what it's like being a Jet fan. Last year was the aberration. Yeah, well, <laughs> you know, that's what it is. It, occasionally they get a winning season in there. You know, like I said, I've been watching games for about 40 years, and the best quarterback play we've seen – Came from Ken O'Brien in 1985. Of course, this is, again, the last 40 years. Now I'm talking about Joe Namath. A top-rated quarterback in the NFL going against Joe Montana, Dan Marino, and the likes like that. Uh, great year by Testaverde in 98. And, of course, uh, Pennington had a good year in 2004 when they went to the playoffs when they should have beat the Steelers in that playoff game against, uh, against Pittsburgh in Pittsburgh. And then, of course, uh, with Brett Favre until he got hurt, it looked like they were going to the Super Bowl. And I've seen some bad quarterback play over the years. Yeah, we'll get to the the Jets quarterback situation in a second. Let's start with the Giants. You said you worked on the radio side for for about six years. So they made a big decision this offseason. They decided at the two-pick in the draft. They decided not to take the successor, Eli Manning. They take Saquon Barkley instead. You think they made the right call with doing that and passing the future? Well, if the Giants thought that Eli Manning was their guy you make the move 
Okay, you build up the offensive line like they did with Solder, and you draft the running back that's available, and you sign Odell Beckham like they've done. If they think Eli is the guy, if they have any doubt in their mind, which is, I mean, kind of says to me, okay, why would the owner John Mara, you know, say to head coach then then head coach Ben McAdoo, let's see what else we've got, and for some reason they go to Geno Smith instead of Webb. Still don't understand that. You know, if they didn't think he was the guy, how did he become the guy again? I think they did the right move, but they've got to win now in the next three years. Because if they don't win now in the next three years, uh, you might see the Giants bad for about 10 years. So this is their chance. Now, what makes it successful is winning a Super Bowl or say they have a 10-6 and five, 10 and six season this year, 12-4, and four, and then another 11-5, and 12-4, and four, go to an NFC Championship game. Does that make it successful or do they have to win a Super Bowl? I don't think the Giants are at the same place the Patriots are or the Yankees in baseball where it's winner, winner, take all kind of mentality. I think if they make the playoffs and win a couple of playoff games, I think it's a success. But the Giants are saying, we think we can win now. I'm not sure they can. It depends on the defense. And what concerns me, big concern, is having the rookie running back, Saquon Barkley, having hamstring injuries. A lot of times that does not go away. It could last the whole season, and that's my concern right now. Yeah, it's definitely a big concern, but if he's healthy, you think that Eli has the tools for success. They rebuilt the line. They have Beckham now. They have Shepard, Engram in his second year, Barkley in the running game. I feel like he could have a big career year if he has able to stay upright. Listen, they could be explosive. I mean, you have a healthy Barkley. You have a healthy Odell Beckham. Uh, the right side of the line still is in question, so we don't know. And the thing about Eli, you know, he, he's healthy. For a guy that's 37 years old, you know, he doesn't get hurt. Okay, he doesn't have injuries you really have to worry about. I think he's he's still got it. Look, Eli was never the most accurate quarterback. I remember in 2005 I was was covering uh, all the Giants games for Fox Sports Radio, and remember being in the locker and talking to Plaxico Burris. And Plax was a great receiver for Eli because Eli is not accurate, and Plax would just jump up and make all those catches, led him to the Super Bowl, and he said, "We're going to make this kid a star." And true to his words, they did. You know, he's never been a pinpoint guy. He's not in this. I'm sorry, he's not in the same category as a Tom Brady, a Drew Brees, or, or for that matter, an Aaron Rodgers who just signed a big contract. So he's, he's just a touch below. I think he's still got some time left on him. I don't think he's worn out by any stretch of the imagination. Um, question is, you know, how healthy is Barkley going to be? And, and, you know, can they stop teams on defense? Yeah, I'm glad you brought the defense up because that was my next point I'm looking at because their defense, they have a lot of questions on it. They have two starter spots still up in the air in the secondary. They made a lot of changes in the front seven. JPP is gone. Alec Ogletree is in. Do you think they've done enough on defense to make a, to keep this team in contention and make, go for the playoffs? I mean, it, is Olivier Vernon going to be healthy? You know, he, he left the Jets game with an injury. You know, is he going to be healthy? Um, I, I don't know if they've done enough. I mean, if they go back to the way they played in 2016, yes, it's good enough for them to win 10, 11 games. If they're going to play the way they played last year, pointing fingers at each other and everything like that, of course, we shouldn't have that last year because we have new this year because we have a new coach. I don't know. That's that's a question mark as well. You, you know, everybody had the Giants going to the Super Bowl last year. Well, let's not forget what they had at offensive line, and boy, did it bite them hard. Yeah, now they fixed the line. Their schedule is hard. Their first seven games are brutal. They think I think if they can get through that, like three and four, they have a back end and they're playing well. They can get to the playoffs. I think off of that. Let me tell you, if they're playing well, they might go three and four or four and three. And that's if they're playing well. If they're not playing well, they could go one and six or zero and seven. That's not out of the question when you look at their schedule early on. Well, I hope they don't. Because I, I, my 
uh, over under bets in Matt Rumack last year. I took the Giants as the over seven. I think I'm hoping I can get that. So we'll see if they can do that. Uh, I, I think when you look at the season without looking at the games, that looks like a fair number. But again, those first seven games are really rough. All right, let's move on from the Giants. Go over to the Jets. They are clearly a year away, so a lot of this year is about setting up for the future, beginning with Sam Darnold. Again? Future again? Really? The future never ends for the Jets. It's it's like the Dodgers. Wait till next year. Wait till next year. (laughs) I wish the the Jets had the success the Dodgers have had. Yeah, well, look at the Brooklyn Dodgers, not the L.A. Dodgers. (laughs) Okay, good one. Yeah. Okay, so a lot of that involves Darnold. They cleared the path for him by trading Teddy Braveweather away to the Saints. Do you think that he's ready for the challenge of playing up to against NFL defenses every single week? I mean, from what we've seen, I don't I don't read too much into preseason football, and I'll, and I'll go back to 1992. The Jets had this young quarterback called Browning Nagel, and the Jets went five and zero in the preseason. Okay, five and zero in the preseason. This guy's a young rifle. Bruce Costlett's a coach. You know, put aside Kenny O'Brien, and and Browning Nagel's the guy. They lose the opening game, opening snap, opening drive against the Falcons at the New Georgia Dome. Nagel fumbles the ball. They wound up losing the game and wound up finishing the year 4-12. and Never heard from Browning Nagel again. Boomer Sison became the quarterback the following year. I don't know, but when you talk to players that have praised him, on, from, on the opposing team that praised him on the field about the throws they've made, that's a good sign. So uh, all indications are he was the quarterback to get. The Jets were surprised they, he was there. They're, you know, They were planning on probably getting a Baker Mayfield at the time, uh, but he was the guy they were surprised, and now, supposedly this guy's going to be a franchise guy. They just got to make sure they protect him because they don't have much. You know, they're they're average on the offensive line. They don't have much of a running game. Uh, their wide receivers are not top notch. So uh, you know, they got just have to make sure they protect him and don't put him out there. Yeah, I, I disagree a little bit on the receiver. I think it's an interesting group of guys there because there's no true like number one Antonio Brown, Del Beckham receiver. But they got a lot of guys unique skill sets like Curse and Anunua coming back and yeah. uh, Robbie Anderson with his deep speed. I think- uh, yeah, yeah. Again, they're, they're not the elite uh, wide receivers. You know, they're they're talented right receivers. They can make catches, but they're they're not at the elite. You know, they're not at the Antonio Brown, Bryant, and Odell Beckham uh, stature. Yeah, I agree with that. That's a, I think you can see how they protect him this year. One another guy whose future is interesting is head coach Todd Bowles. Who a lot of people don't realize. Is Why does he still have a job? I, yeah. it, it befuddles me that this guy still has a job. When you look at the Jets and some of the losses they had, first off, uh, you know when they the year that they just had to beat the Bills to make the playoffs. I mean, to lose that game in Buffalo for a team that had nothing to play for uh, is ridiculous. You know, and losing to Rex Ryan and, and get knocked out of the playoffs never makes any adjustments you never see the Jets make great adjustments coming into the second half you never see them with any any you know fourth quarter heroics it's just I'm surprised this guy has a job not only that he's lost a team for a couple of years too you know players have quit on him and this is a former player yeah okay he, you know he's he's not you know a guy that never played this guy's a former player and they quit on him I I think the the verdicts you know is going to be out on both and and Mike McCagnan as well yeah I think it's interesting because you didn't realize that once the Rangers fired Elaine Vigneault in May Todd Bowles is the longest tenured head coach in New York sports. That's really hard to believe, considering he's 20 and 28 over three seasons. Do you think he can do enough this year to convince the front office that he's part of the future, or that he's going to end up getting replaced if he goes five and 11, six and 10 again? Well, I, I think expectations for the team are probably a six and 10, seven and nine for this team. So unless they go two and 14, three and th- I think a three and 13 season gets him fired. I think if they're around 500, he sticks around for another year. Okay. The Jets have also quietly gotten better a lot of places over the last couple of years. Specifically, they brought in a lot of young talent on the defense. They have some interesting guys at receiver. What one area do you think that they need to upgrade the most in order to make that leap from promising team to potential playoff contender? I mean, first off, 
the, the tight end position. I haven't seen a, an impact tight end from the Jets, really, since Mickey Shul in the 80s. Yeah. All right? You never hear about the Jets having an impact tight end. That's number one. And also the running game. You know, you know where's, where's the dominant running game? You know, they, 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 you know, the ground and pound, you had Thomas Jones back in 2008. Uh, then you had Sean Green and LaDainian Tomlinson in, in 2010. You know, wh- where's the running game? The, you know, the, the, you have guys that, you know, Chris Ivory was pretty good, but, you know, a, a year or two, and, and that's it. I like to see a consistent running game, you know, dominance on the, on the running game. Uh, but every year it seems like a lack of, of play at the tight end position. And, you know, when you, when you think about the Jets, you never hear historically about a great linebacker. They've never had the Ray Lewis, the Lawrence Taylor, or anything like that. They've never had the dominant kind of linebacker. I mean, you're going to tell me the best linebacker this team has had is Bart Oates? I mean, uh, Bart Scott? Yeah. I, mean, I mean, really? Come on now. They, they've never had that. Yeah, I think there's two big areas, in my opinion, I'd love to see them address. Number one, the line, because it's very average. If you want to keep him upright, they need to invest in, in getting significant talent in that line. Just ask the Colts what happened with Andrew Luck with all, when they don't protect him, and he's been miss, missing games left and right. The other area to me is the pass rusher, the edge rusher. They have not had that, I think, since John Abraham left in 2005. So, Well, you know what? It's been a disappointment the play of Leonard Williams, and the, they traded Muhammad Wilkerson, and uh, you know, the Snacks Harrison, uh, you know, went off. And, you know, all these players that they had, the, the Sons of Anarchy a couple of years ago, and it ended with a fizzle. You know, these guys were supposed to be playmakers, and they wound up getting, you know, nothing out of it. They, you know, they, they don't have the pass rush. They, they have a pretty good run defense, but they, they don't have uh, – you talk about John Abraham. I'll go back to Mark Gastro and Joe Klecko from the 80s, too. They haven't had anything near that. So, yeah, again, the, the Jets really, outside of Darrell Rivas – you know they haven't had a dominant defensive player in twenty something years. You know you don't. Yeah. They haven't had like the best player at that position in twenty something years. Yeah, I mean they've had a lot of very good players. They had like the Mo Lewis's at linebacker. They had like yeah, well, Sean many, Ellis, yeah. but then like not that good players. Not, but how mm-hmm. many pro, how many Pro Bowls did Mo Lewis go to? Like one or two. Yeah, maybe if that. Yeah. I, I'm trying if, if I recall the top of my head. They, they they never had the best player or at least the top two players at the position. Okay, let's go a little big picture right now. Can you give me one team that didn't make the playoffs that, you're, that you have as a sleeper you think can make a playoff run this season? Well, I don't think they're a sleeper, but you know, a healthy Green Bay team, obviously. Um, there's a lot of talk about the Bengals as well, um, and stuff like that. And, and you know, a lot of people think the, Brown, the Bears are going to be improved. So um, it, it's, it's so hard to tell, and it's, it's tough to get a sense of a team until about four games into the season. But, uh, you know, I, I think I – think, uh, you know, a team that didn't make the playoffs, obviously, because because of, of uh, their quarterback last year was, was the Packers. So I so I could see them going uh, going deep into the playoffs. Yeah, I took the Packers as an over ten in my in my over unders with Rumac. I think that's a good number. I don't think the division is that hard. I think they can easily get there. My team is the Houston Texans, just because a lot of talk about them. Yes, a lot yeah. of talk. If they, if they are healthy, and that's the key with them, if they are healthy, uh, they they can they have playmakers on both sides of the ball and numerous playmakers on the defensive side. And, of course, we saw what Deshaun Watson did when he was healthy last year. They, they have guys that will keep offensive and defensive coordinators up, up at night scratching their heads. Yeah, Deshaun Watson, those seven games he played was incredible. Like, obviously, once it was, he went It down, was must-see TV, absolutely. Yeah. Once he went down, they were not the same. They have great defense, went healthy. J.J. Watt and, and uh, Merciless need to come back healthy this year. They have good weapons. He got Will Fuller seven touchdown passes, let alone going to DeAndre Hopkins. And the tight end's intriguing. Plus, I don't think that division is very hard because 
Jacksonville's a great defense, and they're questioning at the quarterback. I don't think Tennessee is that good. Indianapolis, you don't know if Luck is going to be able to stay on the field for 16 games, so they could easily sneak in there. Uh, yeah, I mean, they've made some improvement on the offensive line. You don't know how healthy Luck is going to be. Um, again, Tennessee still, you know, not a dominant team by any stretch of the imagination. So you you could see where you get the sense, you know, ten wins, you know, certainly certainly a possibility. Yeah, I could easily see them getting to ten and six and getting in the playoffs, winning possibly winning a division over Jacksonville, then seeing where they go from there. All depends on the quarterback, like a lot yeah. of teams. <laughs> yeah. when, when you talk about teams, you talk about the quarterback, and then you go from there. So it, 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 the health of the quarterback is key in the NFL. All right, last question. If you had to pick today, who would your two teams be that are going to be playing in Super Bowl 53 in Atlanta next February? Hmm. I'm going to, I'm going to, I think the Steelers, because the Steelers got hosed last year in that game against the Patriots, and that changed the whole uh, seeding in, in the playoff position for the AFC. So I'm going to go with the Steelers. And in the NFC, I'm going to go with the Vikings. I think uh, they got their boy Cousins in there. Defense was top flight last year, although they had a bad couple of the second half against the uh, against the Saints and bad game, awful game against the Eagles. But I, I think they've got too many playmakers on there. They got a top flight defense, and they got Kirk Cousins, who's got something to prove. Okay. I'm going to go in the AFC. I'm going to go with New England. I know their team isn't as good as on paper as it is, but – they're going to get through the AFC East very easily. They'll end up with their 13 wins, get a, get a playoff bye, and a lot of teams have trouble going to Foxborough in the playoffs. I'm going to have them there. NFC, I'm going to go with Green Bay. Just because I think a healthy Rodgers, they've been knocking on the door a bunch with him the last couple of years. I feel like the mix is right there this year. They can get there. I, I just don't think they have enough. The offensive line is mediocre. Running game is mediocre. they got the, the wide receivers. They don't have depth at wide receiver. Uh, defense you know, getting getting a little old, long in the tooth with some players. I mean, Rodgers is going to need to hit 40, 40 touchdowns and maybe five interceptions on the year for them to get the Super Bowl. And he's definitely done that before. And he's done it before, so it is a possibility. And there's no dominant team. It's not like if they were playing the AFC where, where the Steelers always have to go through New England teams to try and get to the Super Bowl. I'm surprised neither of us ended up picking the Eagles to try they get, even get back, let alone repeat. Yeah, that's true. I, I think a lot, you mean, you know, when is Carson Wentz going to come back? You know, that is the question. And what's his impact? You know, if he's healthy, you got to play him. And, you know, is he going to have any rust? Is he going to have any fear he's going to get hit? You know, there's those aspects of it. And I think the Eagles just, uh, you know, got hot at the right time. Okay. I know you have to run, so before you go, can you let people know how to follow you on social media and some of the stuff that you're up to with this program? Sure. Uh, basically, on Twitter, Sports Radio Prof. You can follow me on Twitter. And uh, for the uh, sports program here at Iona College, it's IC Sportscom, two M's, M A. So that's IC Sportscom, M A on Twitter. And for people who are thinking about going into a career in Sportscom, and why would they come? Why should they come here? Well, for me, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> uh, we've um, pulled t- took from the pool of resources of New York City. Really, we've got some great instructors. We got Ross Greenberg, won 54 Emmy awards, eight Peabodies. Uh, he teaches the documentary class. We've got Rick Cerrone, former Yankees PR director. We've got Mark Malusis from uh, CBS Sports Radio, SNY. Uh, we've got so much talent here. Uh, we've got one of the best imaging guys in Evan Mandelbaum, uh, teaches production. He helped launch the NFL channel on Sirius Radio. So uh, our instructors are, are well-versed in the, in the professional field. All right. Thanks for the time, Mike. I appreciate it. Thank you. 
All right, that was Mike DeMurray's talking NFL football. Up next, Show Me the Money is back with week one picks right after this. Show me the money. All right, it's time for Show Me the Money for week number one of the NFL season. Throughout the year, I'll be making picks against a team of challengers to see who finishes the better record at the end of the season. First up is a contributor to the Jet Press, Will Schleiderhan. Will, welcome. How are you doing today? Good, good. How are you? Good. Obviously, I'm going to guess you're a Jet fan? Yes, of course. When did you become a Jet fan? Um, oddly enough, my whole family's Giants fan, so I grew up rooting for the Giants. Uh, and then I just jumped ship when I was about 12, so about 10 years now. Uh, probably the wrong decision, but we're still trying to uh, find ourselves a Super Bowl. When did you jump? Like, what season? Was it the Sanchez season, Favre, or...? Let me see. Yeah, around far, or maybe, you know what, before, I think it was like the back end of the Pennington years. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I witnessed that far, Sanchez, now we're to Darnold, so let's see if that helps us out. Yeah, how do you feel about the team this season? You think they're going to have a good year? Uh, yeah, so, let me put it this I think they'll have a better year. I think people think they'll have a good year. I'm not saying, I think at most eight wins, but I see them falling between eight and six, or eight to six wins, yeah. yeah. I'm surprised because Sports Illustrated picked them to go to the playoffs. I was shocked when I read that. That's like the thing to do I've seen. It's just everybody is Jets, Jets, Jets. You know, the division is bad, but, you know, they still I, – I just I don't see them. I don't see them pulling off 9 to 10 wins. Yeah, so let's move on past the Jets. Yep. We are going to make NFL picks against the spread for week number one. Since you are the guest, I will give you the first choice of your picks here. All right, so first, first I took – Denver at home versus Seattle. Um, for the uh, I had it at two and a half on ESPN. It might be yeah. a little bit different. Um, the reason why is just one: you're playing at Denver week one. It's tough. Denver seems to look great in the few first weeks whenever they're at home. And to me, Seattle is just—it's about time that we start looking at Seattle as bad. In my opinion, their old lines bad. Um, you know, they still have Russell Wilson, but there's injuries to Baldwin. Their running back situation is a little iffy. And I just think uh, I think Denver's a little underrated, in my opinion, as far as the uh, moves they made this offseason, um, bringing in Case Keenum, uh, drafting Cortland Sutton. Um, I think – and also their defense, we, we tend to forget, even though they lost to Keeb Talib, uh, they still have Chris Harris. They have a guys that are going to make them competitive. Von Miller is going to kill to pass rushers. 100%. Von Miller and um, Chubb, they are going to destroy that offensive line. I think they're going to, I think this might be a route. <laughs> okay, that's pick number one. Broncos minus two and a half. Where are you going next? Uh, Chargers at home against Kansas City. Uh, it seems to be that the Chargers are kind of that um, every year. There's kind of uh, you know that ooh, this is the Super Bowl pick we're gonna go with. And I've seen I've oh I must say San Diego. I've seen Los Angeles Chargers everywhere, uh, and I really like them. I liked them last year. I know they had a really really tough start to the season. I think they started like 0 and 4, finished 9 and 7. I like Philip Rivers. I like the offensive weapons, and I think Kansas City's just in a year uh, is a year of transition. So what's the what's the number on that game? I think I had three and a half. Chargers minus three and a half. Yep, at home. Okay. And then to round it out, I actually took Bengals plus three in Indianapolis. So, uh, to me, you know, it's a, it, it, it's not a big spread, but I just Indianapolis doesn't do it for me. I don't see it's Andrew Luck's first, you know, live game action in, in almost I think since 2016. There's not many offensive weapons around him, and I think the Bengals 
while their defense is a little suspect, that offense has the ability to put up some points. Yeah, plus the Colts cannot defend to save their lives. No, not not at all. Yeah. And A.J. Green, Joe Mixon, John Ross, they'll have their hands full. Yeah, my, yeah, I have a friend who's a Colt fan, and he had told me last night during our fantasy draft, and he said, like, do not pick any Colts this season. This is going to be a very bad year. Oh, I, I, th- I, I was surprised. I seriously was surprised. I guess since they're home, they're favored, but I just – there's no way. I think in, I think uh, the Bengals definitely pull out a week one win. All right, so Will's picks. Broncos minus 2.5 over the Seahawks. Chargers minus 3.5 over the Chiefs. Cincinnati plus 3 at the Colts. I'm going to be up. My first choice, I'm going to take the Jacksonville Jaguars minus 3 at the New York Football Giants. This is a big game for storylines. Tom Coughlin coming back to his old stomping grounds. And the big reason I took this game is that defense travels well in the National Football League. And the Jaguars have the best defense in the NFL. No doubt. And then the Giants have a brand-new offensive line. has not had a chance to build that chemistry yet. I can see the pass rush giving them nightmares. Even when they don't rush a bunch of guys, the Jaguars have so many people that can cover that they will get coverage sacks. It's going to be a game where Eli Manning goes, like, 12 for, 12 for 29 with, like, one touchdown and three interceptions easily. I definitely agree. Um, Bortles is not great, but the Giant defense is also suspect. And then as he plays over the middle to get him to take advantage of, I have Jacksonville 17, Giants 10, pick number one. I like that. And Vernon's hurt for the Giants, too, so that pass rush is going to be absolutely minuscule. Yeah. The pa- I just do not think that that's a good matchup for the Giants right out of the gate. That offensive line, it's, it's, it's better – but better doesn't mean good. <laughs> no, and they have, I think they believe they have three or four new starters, so now they have to. it's not going to be integrated over the course of four preseason games they barely played together. So 100%, yep. Okay. Pick number two. This, I think, might be a bigger blowout than your Denver-Seattle pick. The Baltimore Ravens laying seven points at home against the Buffalo Bills. That offensive line Buffalo has is horrendous. <laughs> In the quarterback situation. <laughs> yeah. They're starting Nate Peterman, who, who threw, what, five or six interceptions in a game last Dude, year? I was, I'm so surprised they're going with them, honestly. I'm not just because of the fact that they don't want Josh Allen to die behind that offensive line. Did he get a concussion last game? Yeah, or? and they, when the preseason game they played against the Bengals in week three, they, he got concussed because yeah. that line was awful. <laughs> and they're on the road. That Baltimore defense is great. They're going to fly all over the place. They're going to be in the backfield, so Sean McCoy is not going to be able to do much. I think this could be very easily a blowout. You can see Joe Flacco having all kinds of times throwing up bombs to John Brown. Like, yeah, I have a twenty-eight ten Raven win in that game. I I can't disagree with you on that. I you know I they always seem to have a great defense, right? It's yep. always their calling card in Baltimore, and I completely agree. I think they're going to give the the Buffalo Bills fits all day. Yeah, the Buffalo Bills. I think I regret not taking them as an under my over under segment last week, but. That team could be the worst team in the league. Oh, I for sure. I I, I would strongly agree with that. It's no wonder with the Bills and the Dolphins, who I don't think are going to be very good, it's no wonder everyone thinks the Patriots can go back to the Super Bowl because they're going to go 12-4 and again and win the East easily. And I guess that's where, you're, that's where the Jets uh, compare. You know, everybody's blowing them up 10 wins, 9 wins. So I guess it's not as far, far-fetched as one would think. No, because they might be the second-best team in that division by the end of the season. But yeah, Buffalo is a train wreck. Yeah, I was listening to uh, Evan Robertson WFAN today with Michael Irvin, and he was talking about how everyone in the NFL has hope except for Buffalo this year. Yeah, there's just there's nothing. Yeah, they're kind of that weird 
team where there's not a lot of young players is like they're like that weird in between. Yeah. There's just not much hope. I mean, they made the play, you know they made the playoffs last year, but that was just on you know they made, they made the playoffs on the grace of Andy Dalton. Andy Dalton, <laughs> like fourth and seventeen or whatever. It, it, they weren't a playoff team, but they made the playoffs. <laughs> and you know who got denied the playoffs by because of Andy Dalton. The Ravens. The Ravens. Yeah, that, yep, yep. So they're going to be even more motivated to put a hurting on the Bills. And Flacco has yeah. got it. You know, he's definitely got. He's feeling the pressure. So I think you're. I think you're right on with that. All right, and my last pick, pick number three, I'm going to take the New York Football Jets plus seven in Detroit on Monday Night Football. This might be a bit of a homer pick. <laughs> there have been some people I've seen some downness on the Jets this year. I think they'll be, as you talked about, I think they'll be better than people expect them to be. They'll be competitive. Yeah, yeah. I think the secondary is going to be able to handle Detroit receivers. Buster Screen is the little, is the one weak link in that group, and he's going to probably have to deal with Golden Tate in the slot, which is not going to be easy. But yeah. the key to that whole game is if they can get a pass rush on Stafford, because if Stafford has nine, ten seconds sitting in the pocket to throw, they're going to be diced up all night long. No, what you said right there is that is the that is going to be the Jets. You know, key question all year: getting pressure, getting pressure. It's and that secondary is highly competitive. They'll be able to match up against. I mean, a lot of the league's yeah. top receiving cores. Yeah, and as obviously a lot of attention about Sam Darnold for his first career start. I, he's shown he's capable of it. They were a little conservative with him in the preseason, but I think he has some interesting weapons. Even with Curse likely not to play, they still have Robbie Anderson going deep. They have Quincy Anunua back. Terrell Pryor is a home run threat, and they have a couple of capable backs. I could see them being in this game very easily. I think the number is just way too high. Yeah, I, my only you, – how you said they're too conservative, that's my only um, concern with the Jets and Todd Bowles. and Because last year we saw a petty. Like, there was no reason you just – I mean, they should just let him loose, but they're still playing conservative. I just worry that they'll kind of keep the uh, training wheels on, on Darnold a little bit too much in this game, but – yeah, I, I think Detroit's going to win this game, but I think it's going to be a lot closer than people think it is. I have a – where I have that score down. I have 24-21 Lions. Sounds, sounds about right. Because I think Detroit is obviously the better football team. I don't think they're as good as they were last year. They won 10 games, missed the playoffs. I think that division is much tougher, but I think they're getting off to a good start and beat the Jets. That's a whale of a division, yeah, yeah. big time, especially now. <laughs> yeah, not, not that Khalil Mack is on the Bears. Yeah, Chicago's no slouch now, too. So, But, uh, yeah, I, 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 I just – I hope that the Jets can make it competitive. I think they will. But it's like you said, the corners allow them to kind of send a little bit more pressure. But, man, it is just, there's not much of that pass rush. Yeah, it's not. It's like the opposite of the Jaguars, where the Jaguars can get there with their four front yeah. four and get there. The Jets are basically relying on blitzing and coverage sacks, and that's not always a recipe for success. No, not at all. And I'm going to throw a bonus in there. I know you have you heard of the survival pools where you have to pick one lock a week to win. Yeah, and then if you pick the one, you can't use the team again, right? Yes, you, you pick can. Them. Yeah, you pick a team every week. If you're right, you cannot use them again. If you're wrong once, you're out. Yeah. I'm going to start one of those on here. Okay. My first pick for that is I'm going to take the New Orleans Saints as a lock this week at home against Ryan Fitzpatrick and Tampa Bay Buccaneers. <laughs> yeah, I would, I would. And I saw the, the spread on that was like almost 10 or something, nine and yeah. a half, I think. It's almost 10. Their starting running back is Peyton Barber. Like Ryan Fitzpatrick, he played well at the end of last year, but I am not expecting him to go into the Superdome and lead Tampa Bay to a win over that very good New Orleans team. They're in their secondary is top notch after absolutely killing the draft uh, two years ago. So. Yeah. I think that's probably the most popular pick off the board in those survival pools, league, especially now with the whole levy on Bell uncertainty with Pittsburgh, oh, considering he still hasn't shown up. 
Cleveland honestly really might have a shot <laughs> winning that game, but we'll see. Yeah, I think the line on the Cleveland game actually shifted. I think like two points in Cleveland State. I think it was five and a half early. Now I think it's closer yeah. to three because yeah. of Bell not being there. That, yeah, and that's just going to keep getting uglier and uglier. So, I mean, maybe he'll end up in Gang Green on Gang Green next year. Oh, there could be a lot of teams that let me on Bell. As, oh, dynamic, as dynamic as it gets in the running back position. Just a shame, but that's a, we'll see how that situation unfolds. All right, let's recap the picks for this week. Will took the Broncos minus 2.5, the Chargers minus 3.5, and, and the Bengals plus 3. I have gone Jaguars minus 3, Ravens minus 7, Jets plus 7 in week number one of Show Me the Money. Will, thanks for coming on. Yeah, no problem. Anytime. Before you go, you want to let everybody know what you're up to and how to follow you on Twitter? Oh uh, yeah, so on Twitter, I my oh my handle is at will s c h n e i d e r h one. Um, as Mike said before, I'm still volunteer contributing for the Jet Press, trying to get an article out every week, uh, maybe two a week. Uh, I'm going to be starting doing a lot of fantasy um, football articles for them. Um, and also, I am going to be starting an internship with Newsday Sports Editor's Desk. So, just trying to uh, get the ball rolling on my career and see where it leads. Very nice. How's your fantasy team looking this year? One league, I got I got second pick. Bell went one, so I got Gurley. The other league, I had third second pick. Right, Gurley went first, so I'm stuck with Bell. Did you did you at least get James Conner? Yes, I just picked him up yeah. uh, a few minutes before I popped in here. So. Uh, I'm holding, I'm holding my breath, hoping it works out. But man, you the past three years I've had a top five pick, Adrian Peterson the one year towards ACL, David Johnson last year broke his wrist. <laughs> I can't, yeah, I need not a, a good no, track record, not at all. <laughs> well, I had that similar spot. I took Le'Veon Bell last night at number five in a dynasty league. So I, at least I know it's beyond this year, so I get to keep him. But. Man, like I know why he fell at five now. So it hurts. Yeah, yeah it hurts. <laughs> I I knew that was coming. So I drafted James Conner, so I'm at least okay there in the short term. But for, yeah, see how it, see how it plays out for yeah. sure. I wonder when he's gonna show up. That's the whole question. I I tell you, this is a he is setting a new precedent with actually missing game time. Yeah. Like holdouts, we usually never see it to this point. I mean, this is this is something else, and we're gonna. I hope it doesn't lead to anything. You know, players start to do this more. Yeah, but it's definitely scary. Yeah, I think he has to show up, I think, by week 10 in order to actually accrue enough service time to be a free agent again after the year and not have the Steelers just revert his rights for another season. Yeah, very, yeah I think I've heard that as well, yeah. but oof, not a good look. All right, well, thanks for the time. Yep, yep, thanks for having me. All right, week one of Show Me the Money is in the books. Up next, stay tuned for today's two-minute drill where I have an issue with how the Mets are handling David Wright's situation. Welcome back to today's two-minute drill. The baseball regular season is almost over, mercifully so for Mets fans, who haven't had a lot to cheer for from the team for most of the season. The Mets took away one reason to watch in September by refusing to call Peter Alonzo due to concerns over defense, although that may be code for their manipulating a service time, but that's a whole other story. One thing Mets fans have been able to hang their head on is the idea that David Wright might finally be able to get back on the field. Wright progressed all the way to a rehab assignment this year, and he made up the AAA at the end of it. The results weren't great, Wright went 7-41 with a double, two RBIs, and 10 strikeouts, but it's not about the results with him. Wright's likely going to have to retire soon over his spinal stenosis condition, 
It sure feels like this comeback bid is an attempt for him to go out on his own terms and say goodbye to the Mets fans at City Field. Now, this sounds like a perfect feel-good story to put a bow on a bad Mets season, right? Wrong. The Mets are playing hardball for Wright's comeback, shutting down the rehab assignment two days early and having him rehab with them on the road in San Francisco and Los Angeles. Assistant GM John Rico dumped a bunch of cold water on the comeback, saying the Mets need Wright to be able to contribute at a big league level before he's activated. What? This team has bent over backwards to carry Jose Reyes all season, was hitting 198 with a 604 OPS at the expense of developing young players, but they're drawing the line at right riding the bench in September when rosters have up to 40 players and playing a few games? It's not even like Reyes is a lifetime Met. He left for a big contract after the 2011 season. Remember, he, he took himself out of his final game as a Met uniform to preserve a batting title. He's only here because he got released following a domestic violence suspension. Wright's been a loyal soldier, the face of the franchise. He's done everything the Mets could have ever asked for and chose to sign here long-term when the direction looked hopeless. And now they're playing hardball with him? Why? I'll tell you why. It's the same reason Alonzo is in the Mets. Money. Wright's contract, while I burned the franchise, has an insurance policy that repays 75% of his deal as long as he's been out for a 60-day period. Wright has not played since May of 2016, so the Mets have been recouping money since August of that year. If Wright comes back, that money goes away, and the Mets are on the hook for all of Wright's salary for the rest of this year, which costs an extra $2.4 million and for his 2019 salary if he chooses to come back. The Mets have been grasping at straws publicly to justify Wright not being activated, with Mickey Calloway indicating that there's a difference between being cleared for minor league games as opposed to major league games. Are they kidding? This isn't football, where you can be cleared to practice and not contact like Carson Wentz. There is a difference between fielding a ground ball in the majors versus fielding one in AAA. In the end, it feels an awful lot like the Mets are dancing awfully close to the insurance fraud line to try and keep Wright off the field. That's embarrassing, especially for a guy who's given so much to the franchise and has tried his hardest to get back on the field instead of just picking up his ball and going home. Wright has earned the opportunity to go out on his own terms, and for the Mets to deny that to save a few million bucks, pretty much all of which is going to Fred Wilpon's pocket instead of back into payroll to improve this lousy baseball team, is an absolute disgrace. And that's going to do it for today's show. I want to thank my guests, Mike Demers and Will Schleiderhand for stopping by to talk some NFL football. If you want more good stuff like this podcast, be sure to check out the blog over at justandthesuffering.wordpress.com. You can also subscribe to this podcast on iTunes simply by searching for the Just and the Suffering in the Apple Podcast Store. Feel free to subscribe and leave your feedback and star ratings to help make this show better. You can also follow me on Twitter at mphillips331. That's M-P-H-I-L-L-I-P-S-331. And tweet at me with the hashtag Mickey Schuler if you made it to the end of today's show. Be sure you're locked in next week when I'm joined by Joe DeLuizio of Fanside to break down week one of the NFL season and make some picks for week two. Until then, I hope you have a better week than Mets fans. <laughs> <laughs>